0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and this is a show where we get to talk about sports, we get to talk about business, we get to talk about everything in between. However you're listening, however you're watching, you know what to do. Like, subscribe, like, subscribe, like, subscribe. More importantly, (laughs) today, my incredible guest, esteemed guest, I have Peter Fornital. He's the host of the award-winning In the Money Players podcast. He's a freelance writer, editor, broadcaster, all-around great guy wearing a hat. Pete, how you doing today, man?
1: Those things are all true. You know, that's always good when you start the intro and all the things are actually factually correct. Michael, yeah. it's great to be here with you. had the pleasure of being on your panel at uh, at SBC and did such a fantastic job moderating it. Obviously, someone who does the homework and asks good questions and has a lot of fun, doesn't take himself too seriously. All uh, eth- ethos. What's the plural of, of ethos? All, all things that we like over here at the, in the Money Media. So it's a real pleasure to be here with you this afternoon.
0: Pleasure is all mine. Pete, I had so much fun with you. I said, you know what? Let's do it again, but let's make it longer. and Let's make it more intimate, one-on-one, just you, me, and everybody watching, so it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, So, Pete, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much?
1: Such a good question. It is. Thank you. you. Appreciate it it. It goes well beyond horse racing for me. I just grew up a sports nut, and I was a sports nut long before I got into horse racing, and I remember being, from being very, very young memories of watching um, the Super Bowl or watching the World Series, late 1970s, and just being into every aspect of it, from the card collecting to the, to the you know, game, being able to play games based on the games, and of course, watching stuff unfold. And, you know, I, I think that the the human drama was certainly a part of it. I think, the uniforms frankly were part of it at that at that point and and the the ability to have the cards that you could collect and players you could follow and stories and just something that could really help us as humans just going about our business here on earth to have something fun to think about and talk about and play ourselves i mean for me i think that's the fundamental appeal
0: and it's all still there, right? I mean, especially the card collecting side—that's come back significantly. Uh, start of the pandemic, give or take, that there was an absolute boom there, and now collectibles—you got digital collectibles, you got a lot of stuff going on there. VR, AR, all that stuff's coming into coming into form, which is pretty cool. And in the stories, right? Like we're recording this—it uh, looks like February fifteenth. Happy Valentine's Day! I hope you had a nice day, by the way. Um, the 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 Olympics is on, and we don't have any friggin idea what any of these sports are let's be honest we watch because we like the people in them right like it's it's the stories it's the oh my god how much time effort energy blood sweat and tears did they put in just to try and get on the olympic stage for 15 seconds on tv it's not about the tv it's about representing your country and everything that went behind it right so it's the stories that do it for me and pete that's why i started this podcast love asking people questions love their stories love understanding where they're coming from and i couldn't agree with you more everything about sports i'm just kind of curious though where's the horse racing part come in because outside of the triple crown which it turns i guess like everybody in america has a two dollar bet on the triple triple crown race right outside of that i don't know like the catalina wine mixer is that a real thing do they have horse racing there i don't actually know like how do you get into horse racing
1: for me this is where the game within a game came into play so very early on for me I think, you know, 1983, 11 years old, I discovered a tabletop baseball game that i am actually, when we get done with this podcast, going to buy the, the cards, the virtual cards for uh-huh. the for the new season of Stratomatic Baseball. Okay. Very familiar. yeah. So that idea of playing the game, not just watching the games, but then playing the games myself and the intellectual challenge of games. I, I was never any good at it, but I love chess. Just really enjoyed the strategy, this and that. Okay, horse racing is where all of this stuff comes together. There's those same Olympic-like stories that you were describing. There's the thrill of sport. I mean, there's nothing better than a than a you know ding dong finish down the wire in the, in a in a horse race. Incredibly viscerally exciting. But that ability that really comes to the fore. And at one point, you know, you, you couldn't legally be betting on on sports. From a wagering point of view, a legal way to take that intellectual challenge through what we call handicapping, the art of reading the past performances and trying to find a winner. In horse racing, it all comes together. And that's why to this day, my fandom and other sports has actually diminished significantly in part because, well, in part, let's be honest. I wonder if you can see any of my uh, Mets or New York Giants memorabilia behind me. I'm not sure that the the shot is catching it, but being fans of those teams, maybe that's part of one's fandom receding a little bit, but it's more than that. It's also just being very busy with my own job and following it. Even baseball, baseball, which was my number one for many, many years. I'll be honest with you. If it wasn't for fantasy baseball and gambling on baseball, I don't know how much of a baseball fan I'd really – Call myself, at this point, in horse racing, the the gambling, that intellectual part of it, it's at the fore, and it, it's it's just, uh, it's it's really stayed there and, and kind of taken over my life in terms of uh, sports fandom, though I did really enjoy this NFL playoff season. But, I, I mean, I watched maybe three games all season until the playoffs. And
0: you know what? You don't really have to. I mean, just kind of watch the standings, right? But I, I am kind of curious, though. Like, what, so you talk about the strategy, you talk about all these things, and I mean, I know... Some handicappers, right? I know some people that do this, quote unquote, for a living, and they would probably say there's the same aspect in the NFL, if not more, potentially, because there's more players on the field. What exactly are these differences that you're looking at that really brought you in, and and really where you decided to hone your skill set was specifically on horse racing?
1: I've done a ton of gambling on everything you can imagine, and I believe that horse racing is the most interesting gambling game because even in this day and age when you do have a million derivatives on a football game of over under six and a half catches and this stuff that ability to be able to look at the past performances and look at a, a field of 12 going six and a half down the hill uh at santa anita say a track where i was last friday th- there is something so special and unique about that and your ability to find equity in that marketplace even in horse racing that has Believe me, it has problems that hopefully we can work on. The pricing isn't ideal, and uh, I think that the absence of fixed odds at the moment is something that needs to be addressed for the new sports wagering crowd. But even those things aside, there's enough equity where I can sit down and look at that horse race and come up with an eight to one shot that I feel absolutely great about. Whereas in the world of the NFL, at least the way that I looked at it, and, and maybe it's my fault for never getting past this, but you know, your your good case scenario was still um, you know laying uh, eleven to win ten, and it's just not as exciting as a as a gambling game. And I feel like in the NFL, when you're getting into all manner of these parlays and things, I just I think it's really really tough to find equity. And I think in even in the pool betting in the U.S. Uh, horse racing markets, there are some interesting opportunities through the way that you construct your wagers and the way that you assess the chances of the horses to to find an edge and have it you get a lot of uh bang for your buck as it were and at the end of the year you can uh, you can have a winning year to me more likely than you can during traditional sports betting markets in-game sports betting that's another matter. And that's something I'm super excited about. And, you know, I'm not saying it's a gold mine by any means, but I do think it's an interesting area for, for exploration in terms of being able to, to, to find an edge. But I think that's one of the things about racing. You bring in all these other elements. And I, I do believe if you're ju- very judicious, you can still find an edge.
0: Yeah, I think it is really interesting, right? Like that's one thing. You know, me and my buddies. I don't. I'm not laying thousands of dollars on these games. I'm betting ten, fifteen bucks here and there. Like it's not a big deal. So yeah, to bet ten to win nineteen is not that fun. But that's when you say you add those parlays, and now it's bet ten to win a hundred. All right now. Yeah a little more fun so yeah that eight to two shot that eight to one shot that ten to one right golf is a great example like betting golf is so much fun because you got four days if they make the cut you got an extra two right now you're actually sweating this guy that's 55 to one then that, that makes a little more interesting people like those long shot bets so i'm kind of curious though like what you're you're talking about some of the strategy you don't have to give us all the secret sauce pete don't worry but i'm curious like what are you know I, me as a novice you know i'm a let's call me a slightly above novice when it comes to betting NFL and basketball, maybe a little bit of hockey baseball sucks. I hate betting baseball. It sucks. I don't enjoy it at all. But like with, 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 uh, with horse racing, what are you looking at? What are some of these, what are the elements that you're looking at? Cause I see an animal and I can at least put myself in another human shoes, right? <laughs> it's easy for me to say like, ah, oh, this guy was up late last night. Oh, they're in Vegas. They probably went out and partied, you know, the whole <laughs> Vegas nights thing that first year they were in Vegas. How do you like say like well this horse you know I, I think he got a good night's sleep and his <laughs> wife left him alone like what are, like, what are you even looking at in these
1: cases? Well there 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 are narratives very similar to sports teams with horses. They they often revolve around the people who take care of them. The trainer certainly has primacy in that regard, as does the jockey. Uh, but but you'll hear stories about horses that. Um, the whole concept of the horse for course. Certain horses do better in in better places. It's not because they're. You won't hear the narrative that he didn't do as well running at Aqueduct because he was, you know, out at the bars in Ozone Park at night. But you will hear he loves the cool mountain air of Saratoga and he does his best running there. You still do hear those kind of narratives. But at its basis, there are, I guess, these days there's really five main areas. And while I won't, I won't go into all the specifics I'll give you the highest level overview there's speed and and speed figures specifically how fast a horse runs on the clock which is uh, the the number one lens that I look at everything through there's pace of the race certain races are going to be suited to horses with one running style or the other horses have different running styles they typically either want to be on the lead they want to come from far back or they want to do something in between and in the same way that um fight handicappers. We'll talk about how styles make fights. The equivalent cliche that's also equally accurate in horse racing is pace makes the race. You look at that. There's a more ephemeral concept called class that comes into play, um, which is basically the level at which an animal was born to compete, which can tie into different aspects like uh, breeding, Um, and and is very much related to to, to speed. And then there's the idea of what we call form or condition, which is the idea of looking at an animal and seeing something in the pattern of how it's running that's going to let you know today is going to be a a day better than the races we've been seeing, or conversely, it's going to be not as good. And you can use those factors oh i mentioned five the fifth would probably just be the trainer these days the person calling the shots the, mm. the conditioning program whatever it is uh, is of an equal level to a lot of that other stuff so for me i mean at the, the simplest factor i mean i would say that that speed and pace are like um i don't know 70 percent of it those other factors come in and then there's even more arcane stuff you can get into about um track biases and uh and, and then the idea of looking at trips. What happened to the horse in the last journey? And is he going to be able to uh, have an easier go of things today and do better? On the handicapping side of things, those are like the main seven things I guess I look at.
0: Interesting. And hey, you're very successful at this. You, you have a whole media company about it. You've been doing your own thing for a while now, which I think is pretty cool. And it's always, it's always great. I always like seeing people kind of betting on their self. Pause for clapping anybody out there if you're watching you're more than welcome um but no it, it's just it's always nice to see that i, I did it i, I own my own business for a little while and it was really interesting to kind of see how other people went about doing that because it is it's not easy it's very hard it's very easy to kind of fall back and go back to what you were doing kind of thing so i am curious right so you lay out all this stuff about handicapping you've been doing this for 20 30 40 years at this point i don't know pete i don't, don't want to make you too old but I, i'm kind of curious like how did you It's one thing to handicap. It's one thing to place your own bets, right? Like I think X, so I'm going to bet on it. At what point did you start to say, you know what, I want, I think I've got good information. I want to grace the people of God's green earth with my information and let them know what I think, because I think it can help them win money. When, when did that, I guess, come into effect versus just placing those bets and winning on your own? Because that's very easy to do too. It wasn't on
1: it, it wasn't on purpose I'll, I'll put it that way and you said something very interesting there at the end that we'll start with because you hear this all the time from people oh if foretaal's so smart you know why is he giving out this information that he could be making money betting on well I'll tell you as somebody who spent mm, probably three years of my life making more money gambling than doing anything else uh, the, the another great old cliche it's a hard way to make an easy living. Try when you're grinding and gambling to make a sit down with your your partner and and make a budget for the next few months. G- give that a try and and come back and talk about how even if you're doing well, how it's a stressful it's a stressful way to work. Whereas ha- being able to bet for part of your income while still having the the solidity of a job, it's it's not because you're not good enough. As a gambler, it's a lifestyle choice and one that I and one that I very much respect as as I've made it myself. The the career trajectory for me, I was in book publishing and horse racing was simply the thing I did with all my free time. I would arrange it during the summer. I worked for a, a company that had European roots. So we had something unheard of by USA standards, like six weeks of vacation. And I would take four of them and get to as much Saratoga as I could, that kind of thing. And I guess after a fairly long time of working in book publishing on the inside and then working freelance book publishing and freelance writing while doing more and more gambling, I just realized, hey, there's an opportunity to work in racing, reduce the amount of this other stuff I'm doing and focus a lot more. And that's where the Daily Racing Forum came into play. At one point, they came to me and said, hey, we want you to write this book for us. Um, sort of getting back to that idea of when I was a freelance writer, I took on projects like that all the time. Um, and I said to them, great idea about the book, but let's also make it a blog. Let's like, why don't you get me involved doing something to promote this book? And so they love that idea. I went to work for them, was still messing around doing some freelance writing, um, I've been friends with Chris Jericho, the the wrestler rock star for 15 years. We were working on a number of books during that uh, during that period. But I went to work for the racing form and realized at that time, there's a strange window in time, 2014, there was not one horse racing podcast. At least not one that I could name. There was one previously, and I always like to give him credit when people say I'm the OG podcaster. I'm not. That honor goes to a guy named Derek Simon. But Derek was on hiatus. My colleague now and then, Matt Bernier and I had started working at the forum. We said, there's a gap to fill. Let's do a podcast. And the podcast was always moonlighting. I didn't get paid $1 to do the podcast when I was at DRF. And eventually it became a bigger and bigger part of things. I had other ambitions. I wanted to become a freelancer with the with the forum being my big client. And then I wanted the freedom to go do other things and be creative and not have, you know, I had a work agreement that basically said, you know, they owned my child. You know, it, it's like I just got very uncomfortable with that. And uh, that we started negotiating. That negotiation broke down. And I said, what the heck? Why can't I just do this podcast as in the money why can't the why can't the DRF players podcast become uh, let's make up a name on the spot in the money in the money media podcast and honestly it started as one show and just hey maybe this will be one leg of the stool of my professional life and it became a hit so quickly i mean we had more listens to our first show on the new network than we had on the last show on the old network showing me far from being propped up by the old employer If anything, they were holding us back. And I realized there was money to be made and not money to be made on one show. But and I don't want to, you know, to a sports audience, I don't want to get into all the particulars. But there was an opportunity to not just cover the hardcore player and the races coming up this weekend. Mm -hmm. There was room for shows that educated. There was room for shows about the industry, room for shows about harness racing, for shows in Spanish, um, for shows dedicated to owning horses. And, you know, now we have 12 shows. The, with the In The Money Players podcast being at the center, and it's just um, it's just exploded. And we've had so much support from listeners and from the industry itself that, yeah, it just uh, honestly just kind of snowballed. There was not, uh, you know, there was maybe one moment early on where, where I could give myself some credit where we said, hey, maybe this isn't one podcast. Maybe it's a whole network. Maybe that took some vision on our part, but mostly it's just snowballed and been very organic ha- ha- happening on its own.
0: That is Fantastic. Um, very uh, not jealous. I don't like to use that word; it has such a negative <laughs> connotation. But very envious. If I could just talk into this microphone for the rest of my life, and I know Pete, that's you do much more than just that. I'd be the happiest person on planet yeah. Earth. I can promise you that. But I think it's it's just so cool, right? As you said, it it was the it was like the perfect right place at the right time. Like you just saw the hole in the market. Was there, did you listen to this other gentleman's show? Was this something, did you, are you just, do you have an affinity for music? Do you have an affinity for talk shows that you said, you know what? Like, I don't know why, like, even if there is this other show, like we can, there's more than one sports radio talk show in just New York City alone. Like, I'm sure there could be more than one horse racing podcast out there. What, like, what was the, did you think that there would be this big of a, uh, of an audience to be had?
1: quite literally radio or making a living with one's voice is in my blood you can't really see here but i've got about 3000 records behind me in the in the in the stacks back there that are covered up with the various silly uh, racing and uh, pop culture memorabilia but my father was in radio so i think uh, he was a, a disc jockey in new york from the 1960s until his untimely passing in 2012 we actually collaborated on a few books about music together um, so the, I, that idea of being able to make a living with my voice, incredibly appealing, even though, again, when I started doing the podcast, there was no, um, you know, there was no money associated with it. It was mm-hmm. just something I, I did. Cause I, I wanted to do it. I mean, I've always enjoyed messing around with audio projects. I talked about Stratomatic before. I used to do play by play and color commentary of Stratomatic games when I was, 11 years old with my friend Matt Blank, but we were just out in uh, California last weekend hanging out. And I mean, it's always been something that I was doing without getting paid. And even now it's something that I just enjoy. I lose myself when I'm on the air. I feel very, very alive, very, very present. And I really, really enjoy it. So it, I took to it like a duck to water. And in retrospect, the only thing that surprises me is that I hadn't found a way to do anything like this uh, for professional purposes before when I did. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the changing landscape of media in the world. You know, I remember flirting with doing college radio and being a big FAN listener, really from when they started. Huge, uh, huge Steve Summers fan. Oh, Um, the schmooze. uh, (laughs) Over here. And I remember thinking that that was an interesting idea of something that one could do with one's life, but just cursory um, looks at what the career path was like i didn't it wasn't it, it wasn't hey i can sit in my basement surrounded by my junk and and do a pot you know there, there, was no, there was no podcast and so i very quickly uh, saw myself at not being able to do that as a realistic career path in, in circa 1994 but as media changed And and, you know, but it it is funny. It's not like I went out and did it on my own. I I waited until I had the backing of a company. And it was only after the fact that I realized well, heck, you don't really need the company in, in media 2022. You need the content, you need the voice, you need those things that can't be taught. And if you create good content about a specialized subject, you you too can have a podcast
0: yes i tell everybody like it's again it's my favorite thing i do i also do not get paid a single dollar this is all just for fun and i've done almost i think your episode 290 287 something like that somewhere up there so I haven't got paid for any of them but man i won't stop doing this uh anytime soon um maybe one day you I'll do it paid. for the love of sports this guy, man, it's like you're a professional or something, Pete, I love it. Um, so I think you said, you know, you talked about a couple things there. Shout out to your dad. I think that's really cool. Now that I, after I asked that question, I did remember that we spoke about that on the panel at SBC. So I think that's really important. And it, it's really cool to kind of be able to see something like that. Right. As you said, it kind of sucked in 94. This wasn't this was an, almost an impossibility. Thirty years later, not only is it a possibility, it's kind of encouraged, right? Like you yeah. can do all this stuff for free, essentially, if you want. I mean, this microphone I think cost me eighty bucks. The okay. camera I'm using might have cost eighty dollars. It never has me in focus, but like it's kind of nice, I guess. <laughs> like it's there's just some of these things you can get away with doing all this for so cheap. Um, and now that we have streaming capabilities and video and all these things, all of the get, it gets added on. And where I'm going with this is, so you have this podcast, you're under this, you know, this under this company, then you leave. Pete, you got to make money, right? Like, uh, you, you don't just take a podcast, snap your fingers, and make a couple bucks. Like, I'm kind of curious, especially in the beginning with that, for those first few shows, what were you doing to, you know, just to continue? As you said, keep the it's a lifestyle. An entrepreneur, a better is that's one lifestyle, entrepreneur is another. Now you're kind of combining the two of them. Kudos, congratulations. How were you able to kind of just stay afloat, for lack of a better term, especially in those early days to make sure, like, I really want to do this? You understand the long-ish game of nature of you know audio and content. How are you able to kind of just stay at it long enough to then be able to kind of build that entire network of shows?
1: Well, we were very fortunate. And this is where the hidden skill of all of life, Not, and I'm not just talking about... To me, it all comes down really to two things. Talking about professional, your personal life, relationships, whatever it is. Two, two things to me are paramount above all other. The concept of game selection is very important and the concept of networking and that ability to have people one phone call away uh, from the radio world to just you know i didn't really understand podcast business model but just to get like a quick overview of okay here's you know here here's how it works in radio you've got you know these pieces to sell and this and that and then realizing very quickly oh wow podcasts are so different because we can make this really intimate connection with the audience that you don't get with a radio ad. So I just started thinking, okay, so what does that mean? What clients does that suggest would be good for us? And we started with racetracks. I had, had good contacts at racetracks. And the, I mean, the first four phone calls I made, I think three of them were to racetracks. And to a person, they were like, we love your work. We love this idea. That's great that, uh, you know, I had that wonderful fact right out of the gate that the new show had, More reach than the last show with DRF. So I think they were, I think that helped paint a picture that, you know, we were going to be able to to get them the the same kind of reach that they were expecting from from a place like DRF where they were a longer term client. And uh, Woodbine, the racetrack up in Canada, Monmouth in New Jersey, uh, an ownership group. Called uh, 10 Strike Racing. And then the one that I need to mention, the first one that came to us and the day that really made me think we might be on to something, we'd made the announcement. Um, we, we'd had the new show and, and made the jump. I was actually in a yoga class up in Saratoga Springs, New York, and uh, three mats over was a woman I had met at the Paddock Bar, friend, really friend of a friend at that point. She's since become a close friend. And she said, yeah, my husband and I were listening to the show. That's cool that you're on your own. Do you think you'd consider letting our charity uh, be one of your sponsors? Like, I think it'd be great to get our message out to the people who bet the horses. It's a charity called the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. We do the critical work of having to help find homes for the horses when their racing days are done, uh, they do some other wonderful stuff uh, with human beings as well. Uh, but that's a that's another uh, another tangent that we don't need to go to right now. But that idea that here I was days after the announcement, and I'm not even reaching. I'm not even in outreach yet. It's too early. You know, I don't want. To, I want to wait till the new year to start reaching out. And people are already finding me. I mean, that was that was just amazing to to get that level of support right out of the gate and have those first phone calls be so successful. I wonder what it would have been like if I'd gone over four. um, you know, my, what I know about sales, that's much more the typical. And I think I would have persevered, but the fact of the matter is we hit the ground running. And then like with so many other things, once you, once you have a bunch of sponsors, it makes it easier to get new sponsors. So yeah, we, we overachieved in that regard, right from the get go. And I feel very, very blessed to have the, the friends and contacts, um, that that helped us get off and running and obviously we've done a good job because they've all they've all come back and expanded their relationships and grown with us so that's been exciting as well
0: yes if they come back and say can you can i give you more money it usually means you're doing something right yeah. Pete. and i think uh, i'm grateful that you use the word blessed because i was if you were going to say the word lucky i was going to get a little angry at you because clearly <laughs> it's a, it's a testament to your character it's a testament to your work ethic you didn't network and, and you know you didn't you if you didn't do any of that none of this would happen if you weren't great at creating the content already none of this would happen so uh kudos and congratulations definitely in order for you guys and as you said it makes it much easier if you can hit the ground running like that but you guys put in the work to get there right you've been doing this for multiple years so it's not surprising that you hit the ground running it's it's kind of a you know par for the course. What's a par? I would say though
1: that, <laughs> that works. The 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 other we have pars. Um, okay. The other way I would look at it though is, hey, if you're if you're starting out, let your content talk, you know, and accept the idea that you're gonna have to spend some time building your 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 context. Having a podcast, fantastic way to improve your network, by the way. What a great opportunity to, to meet people such as yourself. And then, you know, you talk to them on air, you talk to them off air and you say, who else might we uh, might we want to have on the show? And just as your profile builds, as more and more people hear you, you have that opportunity to get into the, the, the next level of things. You, you, you collect metrics and you build sales materials. And the next thing you know, you can you can run it like a business. We are. I, I agree that, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody who attributes much to luck, but I will say this. It's lucky to be, it's lucky in a sense to have a niche. I, you know, I knew I was already doing the racing thing. And then racing is an area where it's a lot easier to to monetize than to have a general sports podcast, say, just because it's so logical. Because of that intimacy that podcasts provide that I was talking about before. Um, the way I look at it, I, the analogy I use is um, radio radio, Radio advertising largely is you're driving in a car and you're putting a billboard on the the side of the road. And podcast advertising is you're sitting next to the person in the car, talking to them directly in their ear. There really is an intimacy and an ability to connect and get noticed aspect that in a business like horse racing, that's already a niche to begin with compared to the NBA or whatever, you know, you, you can... We were in a terrific position. We were in an advantaged position to monetize right from the get-go, as opposed to you know, uh, a, a sport that's more popular. On the flip side, you've got a lot more listeners uh, potentially out there. But you just have to uh, my advice to people doing general podcasting work would be to just double down on trying to create original, compelling content and work on, you know, getting that market share and and the more you can do your own thing and try to stand out in that crowded marketplace the better off you're going to be
0: 100% agree by by getting smaller you're actually the 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 opportunities get larger because as you said now you know who you're going to you're going to horse racing sponsors because you know what you have a lot of people that listen and want to talk about horse racing Now, me, this is a little bit more of a general show, but I did that on purpose because now I can talk to people like you and I can talk to people that I had on the other day who own a uh, a at home training company. And I love those conversations. And I'm I just really enjoy understanding and learning people all over the sports business universe. But I do completely agree with you. It's if you can get more niche, the numbers don't have to be as big. It just means there's more engagement and there's more people. As you said, you can sit next to people in their cars because what do people love? When they're into something really different and really small and they find somebody else that loves it, what are they going to talk about? That,
1: that, and only that. And
0: yeah, they that's love a great it. point.
1: The community building aspect yes. of the podcasting world, whatever the topic is, um, people get a sense of belonging. We did we did some research on this pretty early on because we had a decent audience from the get-go. We were able to do a survey. And just reading people's comments, you got the real sense that we're creating... And this was even pre-pandemic, but that idea of a of a third space, uh, virtual third space. You know, there's home, there's work, and there's like where you go to hang out. Podcasts provide that role for a lot of people, and they felt really connected to us as we do to them. And and that to me was a very interesting part of the changing media landscape. In my dad's day, it was broadcasting. Everything was just. You know, ra- ra- ratings, 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 the ratings have to be big, more ears, more ears, more ears. Now it's narrow casting. It's how do we find this audience, create this sense of community and then be able to organically get messages from the the, the clients, the sponsors to them. And it doesn't work if you fake it. I can tell you that right now. If we were to just be cynical and say, hey, we have let's just make they're, they're a fictional sports book with a bogus promotion. Like we're not going to sell that to our listeners. They're not. They're going to be too smart for that, and our heart's not going to be in it. But if we say, "Hey, you know, Caesar's has this awesome promotion," then they're they're going to they're going to flock to it. And and that that's a key thing that we talked about a lot at our panel. Mm -hmm. That idea of authenticity. And if you want to do, we didn't. I don't know how deep in the weeds we want to go about the whole affiliate concept, which we've done a little of, but not a ton of, um, at in the money media. But, you know, that ain't going to work unless you've got an authentic message that you're you're able to put through.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's engaging with the community in a way. Right. You've you've these people have listened to you over and over and over again. They're not going to the first time they hear the ad, they're not going to buy it. It's just the more you are able to say, hey. No, I promise you guys, like our listeners use this. I personally use this, right? The more you can become a a real spokesperson for that company, I think is very important. And there's more likely going to be that opportunity that someone's going to say, you know what? Yeah, Pete's been telling me to check it out. Like, what's the worst? I, I use promo code Pete. We'll check it out. Oh, this is actually pretty cool. He wasn't lying, so I think that part is is pretty interesting. I don't really want to talk about affiliates. I talk to affiliates every single day, so I think I'm good. I'm good on that front. But I understand where you're coming. I think the sponsorship aspect of it is really important, and that's really where you're going to find you know all most of your dollars right in in the podcasting space, which I think is pretty important. A um, couple things I do want to touch on. I know we only have a couple more minutes here, but I I am interested. So like the NFL, NFL is king when it comes to sports betting, right? Everything is NFL, NFL, NFL from September to uh, yesterday or two days ago, right? February, two weeks into February now, right? So everything is NFL. Then we kind of have a little lull and we do our thing. Horse racing, I'm very novice when it comes to it. I I, I know what the Breeders' Cup is. Not going to watch it, but I know what it is. And the Triple Crown. Everybody in America loves the Triple Crown. Kentucky Derby, it's incredible. We all stop what we're doing for two minutes watch it we all go wow and then we turn it off i guess how do you guys like what do you do with that influx of traffic how do you try and catch that casual person because i'm sure casual people are searching out it's like ah, you know i could put 20 bucks on an eight to one shot that's easy that's not that big a deal i can do that how do you then try and just not just engage with that person this one time or those two or those three shows How do you actually try and catch them because that's the way you're going to grow your audience right you're going to not everyone's going to stay but you want to try and keep a couple of them and get them actually engaged in the sport of horse racing so you can create another lifelong fan oh man did we just lose video like that i guess i ask long-winded questions but like i don't think it's that bad nice i am so sorry
1: and it's so ironic because you're talking about what a pro i am and i let the computer run out of battery
0: Oh no, that's bad. That's pretty bad, Pete.
1: <laughs> the is of rookie mistakes. Oh. And and then the other the, and I have a backup computer, and that wasn't charged either. But I'm oh, here now, goodness. and I remember the okay. question. If you if you uh, I
0: don't <laughs> remember the question. So we,
1: you were talking about the influx of people yes. who come in at the Triple Crown, and of course yeah. you're right. And in fact, I have a meeting tomorrow about. I mean, this is like. I I do. I envy you being able to, you know, not running this as a business and be able to focus on creating content because my meeting tomorrow is how do we optimize our SEO over the next couple months so we can find all the randos who want to come on looking for, you know, a tip on the Kentucky Derby? Because I know from our traffic, it just goes absolutely ape in in April. And yeah, we know we can we know that's the critical time for us. It's huge, actually, right around Breeders' Cup, too in a way that's almost surprising given how much impact Triple Crown has that it's actually somewhat comparable around Breeders' Cup is, is interesting. It, it shows you that there are these like horse racing curious people out there. And if we try to engage them by putting out the best content we can, I mean, there's not that much more to it than that. One thing I do like to do that I think can really help get a hook in a potential um, listener is to focus on other aspects of the sport as well in terms of the lifestyle, Mm -hmm. you know, so we'll during the triple crown, we'll make sure to try to highlight um, how much fun it is to go to Keeneland or to Saratoga or to Del Mar or Santa Anita, try to point people to these temples of the sport where the sport really shows itself well and point out to people, you know, you might be in an area where there's a racetrack, but it's a racetrack that doesn't necessarily have atmosphere to put forth this idea that hey, even if you're a casual fan, you're gonna have such a good time if you go to one of these temples of the sport where you can really feel the pulse beat, as opposed to potentially your bedraggled local facility. And I think, hopefully, if we can convince some of those people to come along for the ride and create more content for them, we'll get them. You know, perhaps it it may be an unachievable goal, but the idea is to create content so compelling that hopefully. They'll want to stick around and, and give the larger sport a try.
0: I love it. I've been to Monmouth. I'm here in New Jersey, so it's not too far. It's only Great prob- track. probably less. It was awesome. I mean, I yeah. we put a couple t- $2, $3 bets in. We had a good time. You got to go see the horses. You can watch them walk around. You can pet them. You can do that whole thing. So it's like it was more than just placing a couple bets and, and watching some guys slap themselves on the butt with their, 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 uh, their newspaper, right? It's more than that. <laughs> i'm confident it's more than that but it was fun right you got people got excited they got they got angry i mean that's all that's the fun of it man that's why we do it but yeah mama it, this
1: great they do it it's it's a few really cool places to hang out there um that good good little restaurant with the pizza mm-hmm. you can uh yep, I got some pizza. enjoy yep. enjoy the bar by the that, that lady's secret bar by the paddock is really cool and here's a cool thing if you're especially a sports betting person maybe thinking of getting involved in racing. Uh, there are going to be fixed odds there by the time the meet starts. And cool. one of the things I don't think a lot of my I, I think of myself as a, I'm not a journalist. I think of myself as a horse racing marketing person in a lot of ways. And one thing I think that a lot of my fellow horse racing marketing people are not getting is that, you know, we have this huge audience that we can potentially um, be marketing to. And the first time you tell them their price is, you know uh five to two plus two fifty, and then they and they get uh, they they get six to five plus one twenty. You're gonna lose a fan for life. And I can that, you
0: explain that actually? Can you explain sure. so like if I was to just be on the Caesar Sportsbook app just to see like, hey, I, I think the Rams are gonna win or cover the spread. How can you just kind of describe and explain the difference or, or sure. currently what's going on in horse Absolutely. racing?
1: Absolutely, horse racing to this point in America for a very long time has been paramutual only. Parimutuel, betting among ourselves, it's pool betting. The concept is you're not betting against the house. All the money goes into a big pool. The house takes a cut off the top. It's wonderful for a lot of things. When there's really good liquidity, like the Kentucky Derby, the markets are very stable, no problem there. It allows really fun bets that you can bet a little and win a lot on, like pick fives and, uh, and pick sixes and things like that, when picking the winner of five or six races in a row, that can allow for some really creative ways of structuring your tickets to get an edge and and have a lot of fun and bet a little and win a lot whereas in uh the caesar's app that you referenced that's booked money that's there's somebody there is an entity a bookmaker on the other side offering that price and uh and and paying you if you win who the money goes into their pocket if if you lose and for the first time In the USA, in a very, very long time, fixed odds betting is going to be coming to racing. Now, it's not necessarily going to be any kind of savior or panacea. It needs to be done right. You can't be just cutting off winning players at the first sign like they do in some other countries. That's going to be anti-marketing of the worst order as well. But I think there's a smart way to do it where we can introduce people in the wider wagering world to our sport get them in the door. And I think they'll become attracted to those pool bets naturally because of that ability to bet a little and win a lot. I don't think folks are just going to want to hang around. It'd be a small subsection that just want to hang around in the fixed odds piece of things. But I do think it'll be easier for the sophisticated better to win because I said pool betting for in the win market works well in the Kentucky Derby day in, day out. It's very, very tricky. The pools are not that big and you've got, very large entities betting very, very late, changing the prices, correcting the prices typically. So, you know, you think there's the, as far as the equity and the value goes there, now you see it. Now you don't um, more often than not, it does happen. Occasionally the price will cut in your favor. It's a myth that that never happens, but it happens way more in the wrong direction for the punter. So yeah, that's uh, that's what I mean when I talk about why I think fixed odds betting could be really important for horse racing and, we were talking Mammoth, a fantastic track to go check out we'll be doing some events down there it looks like which will which will be a lot of fun as well let
0: me know man i'd love to come hang out maybe one of these live can't your computer can't die if we're doing this live only my computer die right uh but pete i think i think it's important right just from you just the last point here right like now we have such a big number of legal sports betting states that these people are already confused on how normal sports betting, quote unquote, normal sports betting works just on your NFL game. Now you're throwing this whole other feature at them. If there was that opportunity, it's much easier to convert them from like numbers, at least in a different sport than to a different sport with different odds and different payouts and how all of that works. The pari aspect, as you said, the liquidity markets. Well, why do I care about liquidity markets? The book's just going to take my money anyway. Well, actually, it's not. So um, I think all that's very important. And I think you did a great job of explaining and I appreciate it, Pete. Thank you for for handling the technical difficulties. Thank you for being such a great guest. I sincerely appreciate it. Where can everybody find you online? Where can they find the podcast, the entire network? Give the people what they want.
1: All right, let's talk. So Twitter is a great way to follow Interact. If you have questions, love to talk to people over there. At Looms Boldly, after a famous horse racing call, uh, Looms Boldly on Twitter is a great place to find me. The website for the company is in the moneypodcast.com. There's also a contact button there that goes straight to my email. So that's a wonderful thing. In the you'll see the full array of shows that we have. We tried to design it to, uh, you know, to be sort of like a Disney Plus for sickos. You can just sort of scroll through which which aspect that, that you want. We do have a sports betting show on there, and then we cover every aspect of the horse racing industry. And then from there, wherever you get your podcast, search for In The Money Media. We have a house feed that has all the shows. If you're just interested in checking out the flagship show and then building out from there, uh, that's on what's called our green feed. If you search for In The Money Players podcast, that should get folks uh, what they need as far as hearing more of my act.
0: Yes. Hearing more of your voice, hearing more of your personality, seeing more of that hat, Pete, I couldn't ask for anything more. I'll have all that in the show notes for everybody on the podcast, on YouTube. You can catch everything there in case you missed it. But Pete, this has been absolutely fantastic. The time is the only thing we don't get more of. So I appreciate you giving me some of yours as well as the audience listening to us today. So thank you so much, man. Appreciate it.
1: Absolutely loved it. I'll make sure to plug you and your great work to our listeners as well. And I love this idea of a Monmouth meetup. Let's just we'll let it get a little bit warmer. Get some horses yeah. running around in circles out there. There are uh, uh, a few uh, drinks with our name on it at uh, the Lady Secret Bar.
0: And I will tell all of your bets, sir. I cannot <laughs> wait. But other than that, awesome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it. Thank you, Pete. Bye, everybody.